Hi, everybody. Welcome to Trek Trek. I'm your host, Justin Chang, and with me is Randy Nelson. Hey, folks. Welcome back. We're back. Yeah, we're back. You're not. Oh, you're back, too. So welcome back. <laughs> I guess it makes sense. Hey, Justin. How's it going, man? Uh, Pretty good. Yeah. Uh, it's been it's been busy, you know? Yeah, busy. You know, it's it's good, though, to, to take the time to talk about Trek. Yeah, it's it's yeah. long overdue. Put our minds on a starship out, you know, millions of miles from Earth, <laughs> where there's no well, there's work to be done, I guess, but uh, not our date, not our boring work. There's space work. Yeah, I mean, come on. I wonder if working on a starship is actually pretty mundane once you get used to it. Well, I mean, everyone must like doing it because they don't get paid. They're just doing it because they like doing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, they get paid. They get food. I don't know. Room and board, right? There you go. <laughs> so, what have you been up to? Uh, not too much. It's been, uh, you know, it's been busy at work, but kind of quiet other than that. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can definitely hear you on the, the work busyness front. Uh, but, yeah, kind of in a lull in terms of, you know, exciting stuff going on. Mm -hmm. I haven't really been catching many movies or anything like that. Just watching Star Trek. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of Star Trek, uh, mm -hmm. some old games were released. Oh, yeah. that's That was pretty cool. What's the on, deal there? On uh, good old games and Steam. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, Star Trek 25th Anniversary. It's an adventure game. Yeah. And its sequel, Star Trek Judgment Rights. Uh, and uh, Star Trek Starfleet Academy all came out on PC. That's awesome. They came back. Yes, they're back. They're playable on modern computers. Yeah. You know, I remember very clearly when actually when all of those came out, um, but it's been a really long time since I played any of them. Uh, so definitely might be worth checking out. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of point and click adventures. I remember there was a lot of good buzz at the back in the day about the 25th anniversary. Mm -hmm. So definitely check it out did you pick them up or uh, uh yeah i picked them up uh uh i don't i didn't really play them that much but they mm -hmm. seemed i mean they can run on modern computers so that's yeah. a good thing yeah well they're definitely not you know top of the line modern AAA games but um i mean they're star trek games we don't get a lot of star trek games except yeah. you know we had that that gears of war type third person shooter <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's good to see them coming back you know like the star wars games came back like tie fighter and x-wing mm -hmm. and uh it's good to see some star trek games now um i'm hoping elite force makes it out sometime oh is that the voyager first person shooter yep is it voyager yep yeah, i think it is right right yeah yeah it's... used to fight the borg mm -hmm. like that yeah definitely wait for checking that out yeah, that's probably one of my favorite Star Trek game, even though it's very un Star Trek. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, are you? Can you play as Tuvok? Because that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, you encounter Tuvok. You don't play as Tuvok. Oh, you're just kind of like a space marine kind yeah. of person. Yeah, because that's what Star Trek's all about: is space marines <laughs> and phaser rifle <laughs> battles. Oh well. Yeah. So. Um... Yeah, I don't have anything really on the, the Star Trek front, you know. Other than watching three episodes of Enterprise. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we've got to get back. I mean, we have kept the people waiting long enough. We've got to get caught up. And, and in fact, we, you and I were just talking before we started recording about making our fr uh, future episodes double episodes. Yes. So you get twice the track. And you half get the, the track time. Track. 
in half the time. Oh, yeah, because they'll come out on the same day in one episode. But it literally will be Trek Trek. Exactly. So think about it, folks. It just makes sense. <laughs> really. Works on so many levels. Yeah, and it's great bang for your no bucks. <laughs> uh, yeah, you want to talk about the uh, first episode here? Yeah, let's dive in, buddy. Uh, let's talk about Star Trek Enterprise Season 1, Episode 22, Vox Sola. Uh, original air date, May 1st, 2002. Hey, we're almost uh, 12 years apart, 13 years apart. Yeah, we're almost there. Yeah, well, that was the whole reason why we didn't put out a show for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, we were just waiting to catch up. Yeah, we wanted to sync up, sync our uh, our chronometers with the star date. <laughs> All right, take it away, buddy. Uh, the episode opens on the Enterprise and an alien ship. They're docked together uh, via Captain Starlog. We learn that the aliens are called Cretacens. Uh, Archer has been having second thoughts about bringing them on board uh, because they're insulted by or are insulting the Enterprise crew. Um, you know, Hoshi can't translate their language, so... Hoshi, you had one job. It's <laughs> very, it's a very difficult language, as we'll yeah. come to learn. Yeah. Um, Hoshi, Archer, T'Pol, and Trip are following the Kratasans who are marching down some hallways, and uh, they want to leave. Uh, Archer tries apologizing which Hoshi has to translate herself because the universal translator isn't working, but they do not accept the apology and they leave in what Tripp says is the quote, briefest first contact. Hmm. As the Kratasan ship leaves, a ghost-like alien sneaks aboard the Enterprise. Bum, bum, bum. Opening credits. Uh, when the episode comes back, or on the Enterprise, on the bridge. Uh, Hoshi is trying to figure out what happened with the Kratasans. Uh It turns out that their word for to eat can mean to mate when the emphasis is changed, <laughs> which caused okay. problems during dinner. Oh my. Okay. Uh, Hoshi notes how subtle the Kratasan language is, and that and Tapal says that it's her job to figure this stuff out. Uh, Hoshi gets very defensive. So she literally told Hoshi, you had one job. Yep. <laughs> Great. Okay. Uh, Tapal wants Hoshi to learn from her mistakes for future first contact situations. Ouch. Uh, Trip enters the bridge to help figure out what Hoshi was hearing on the comms earlier. Uh, Trip then asks Tapal how Archer is doing. Uh, she advises him to not go into the ready room, but he goes anyway to help cheer Archer up. He tries to distract Archer with an offer of playing Nine Ball, and it doesn't help. Then Trip pulls out a recording of the finals of the Stanford versus Texas water polo match that he got Ooh. from a subspace mailbag. Okay. Yeah, you know, Archer, he loves water polo. Yeah, we are going to hear a lot more about that. <laughs> <laughs> he played water polo. Yeah, I don't know yeah. if you knew that. I mean, <laughs> he's very subtle about it. Yeah. In Archer's quarters, uh, Porthos senses something overhead and starts barking. The, oh, al sighting. the alien creature that snuck aboard is moving through a Jeffrey's tube above. In the mess hall, Mayweather and Reed are trying to figure out why the Kratasans got so upset. Uh, Reed says that they were fine until they got to the mess hall. 
Mayweather sees that Hoshi doesn't want to talk about that, so he changes the subject to the movie that will be shown later called Wages of Fear, a French film from 1953. So more ancient movies for these guys. Yeah, apparently they don't have any future movies to watch. Yeah. Maybe they stop making movies. Yeah, they're just like, yeah. That was, it's like all the other stuff, like war and hunting and all the stuff we don't have on Earth anymore in their future. One of the things we don't have anymore is movies. We so don't, got, we don't need them watch, anymore. We gotta watch ancient things. Yeah. Oh, our, our species outgrew movies a long time ago. <laughs> Anyways. Mayweather convinces Reed to go to the movie by uh, telling him that things blow up in it. Uh, Reed then tries to get <laughs> Hoshi to go by saying that they might need a translator for the film. Oh my goodness. But Hoshi isn't in the mood. Uh, she leaves, and as she's walking down the hallway, she hears something making a noise behind a wall. It's the alien creature. Uh, in engineering, uh, some random crewmen are talking about missing the movie. The female crewman notices that the power went out on D-Deck in Cargo Bay 2, and she tells the male crewman to go check it out. Are they wearing red shirts? No, they're not. <laughs> they have red stripes on their uniforms. Uh, elsewhere, the movie is about to begin. Reed seems less keen on it because it's two hours and 24 minutes long, and it's about four men in a truck. Uh, Mayweather tells him not to worry. The movie starts, but the screen is all staticky. Images from other parts of the ship then pop up. Uh, flocks in sickbay, for example. Uh, Reed leaves and calls for someone to find out what's going on. In Archer's dining room, Archer and Trip, both dressed casually, are watching the water polo match. Uh, I noted that the video quality is pretty low res and is not widescreen. <laughs> well, I've also noticed that if if you look at the various monitors, like, for instance, the screen that they're watching the movie on, and granted that the movie is not widescreen because it's from the 50s, but the, none of the monitors in the ship are widescreen either. Yeah. So apparently uh, they've taken a step back from modern times. Yeah, they just hate widescreen now. Even like... though the show is presented in widescreen <laughs> HD, if you think about it. Yeah, it's hmm. really weird. Okay. In Cargo Bay 2, the male crewman from before, uh, flashlight in hand, checks out what's wrong with the power. And I noted, you know it's the future because the flashlight has LEDs on the side of it for some reason. <laughs> and those actually require battery power to run, <laughs> so it doesn't last as long. Uh, as the crewman is investigating, he sees uh, a busted vent on the ceiling. And some kind of white liquid dripping down from the hole. And the liquid is pretty lewd looking, if I have to say so myself. <laughs> uh, the liquid forms a trail that the crewman follows, leading to... Because, <laughs> because that's what you do, right? Yeah, you see some uh, liquid on the ground, you just follow it, right? Yeah, okay. Uh, the, the crewman follows the liquid, and it leads to what looks like some kind of webbing, like in Aliens. Mm-hmm. They uh, should have watched Aliens. <laughs> yeah, instead of watching uh, whatever movie they were watching. Yeah. Uh, he tries to use his communicator. In engineering, the uh, other crewman from before gets the call, but hears nothing on the other end. Uh, back in Archer's dining room, Archer and Trip are still watching water polo. They're drinking beers and eating pretzels. Uh, Trip tells Archer to keep watching as Texas kicks some California butts. 
but Archer is worried that Trip may have spoiled the game for him. Mm. Spoilers. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in Cargo Bay 2, the woman crewman is looking for the man crewman who we now know is named Michael. Uh, again, Enterprise, very bad at introducing characters. <laughs> uh, Archer and Trip continue to watch the game. Uh, Trip is getting into it despite not really knowing the rules. Archer asks Trip if they can put a pool on the ship, and Trip says that he wouldn't want to be swimming if the gravity plating went offline. Uh, the female crewman who we learn is named Kelly calls Archer. Mm. She is in Cargo Bay 2 and tells Archer that there is some sort of life form in the cargo bay. She is with Rostov, so the male crewman's full name is Michael Rostov, uh, who is still conscious, but she gets cut off before she can say any more. Archer and Trip meet up with Reed and a security officer, the four of them, all of whom have phase pistols and flashlights in their hands, enter the cargo bay. Uh, Archer tells them to keep the phase pistols on stun. Inside, Trip spots Kelly wrapped up in the webbing. Uh, the webbing is alive and is affected by the light from the flashlights. Rostov calls to Archer from above. He warns Archer to leave. As they're backing out, the alien creature grabs Archer with a tentacle. Oh no. Where is this going? Yeah. <laughs> so, this had a guest director from uh, Japan working on it. <laughs> Tentacles and white goo. Um, the uh, tentacle then grabs Trip and the security officer. Uh, a tentacle comes for Reed, but he escapes from the cargo bay in time and shuts the door on the tentacle. A piece of the tentacle falls to the floor, and I noted that the CG is very dated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he totally just abandoned the captain. So there you go. Well, someone's got to get out there to warn them. In the Situation Room, Reed warns Hoshi, Mayweather, and T'Pol that the creature is growing and may break out of the cargo bay. They figure out that the last ship that they docked with was the Kratassans. T'Pol doubts that the Kratassans are attacking them, and she doesn't know that the creature is hostile. Uh, Reed is positive it is. Uh, Mayweather's just going to the Kratassans for help. Sapal calls Phlox, who is about to perform a scan of the tentacle piece from the, uh, from earlier in the uh, decontamination chamber. He tells them that the tentacle piece is surviving independently from the main body, like an earthworm. Uh, Phlox gets a tissue sample and discovers that it has a complex nervous system. The creature could be capable of higher mental functions. Uh oh. Hoshi wants to communicate with it. Uh, Reed says that they don't have time to learn its language, and Paula agrees. Reed then tells her that the phase pistols have no effect on the creature. Fox suggests using EM radiation because the creature is photosensitive. In the cargo bay, uh, Trip, Archer, and Rostov are wrapped in webbing, but are awake and able to speak to one another. Kelly and the security officer named Zabel are still unconscious. Uh, Rostov jokes about missing the movie. Uh, Reed and a couple of security officers enter the cargo bay. They have devices in their hands. Uh, these devices shoot EM radiation beams, which they shoot at the creature. 
However, Archer, Trip, and Rostov scream out in pain as the creature is being bombarded with EM radiation. Mm-hmm. Reed calls the bridge, and Phlox orders them to shut off the EM radiation emitters. In the Situation Room, Phlox explains to T'Pol that the crewman's nervous systems are now linked with the creatures. If they keep blasting the creature, they will kill the crewman. Uh, T'Pol orders Reed to withdraw. Later in the Situation Room, Phlox explains that the rate of symbiosis is increasing, and if they can't rescue Archer and the others soon, he won't be able to separate them from the creature. T'Pol tells Hoshi to start learning how to communicate with the creature. In Sick Bay, Phlox tells T'Pol and Reed that the creature will absorb the crewman. As Reed and T'Pol are walking down a hallway, Reed tells her that they need a way to contain the creature. He tells her about an EM barrier, a force field, that Starfleet has been working on for the past five years. Reed has been trying, uh, has been trying it out, but he thinks he can make it work. On the bridge, Mayweather tells T'Pol that he's found the Kratassans. Uh, T'Pol goes over to Hoshi, who isn't having much luck with communicating with the creature. She is frustrated because the language is like math, and T'Pol offers to help. <laughs> math is hard. But Vulcans know math. Yeah. Uh, in the cargo bay, Trip and Rostov suddenly know about water polo. Archer <laughs> figures out that they're being linked by the creature. Ooh. Uh, Trip is desperate to escape. Because he hates water polo. <laughs> He's like, no, not water no, polo. I don't want to know any more about it. Archer tries to communicate with Trip via the mind link. Archer is thinking about his college water polo days and how he always thought he could win every game. Basically telling Trip to never give up. Which, never surrender. Which calms Trip down. Oh, yeah. In Sick Bay, Reed enters and asks Phlox about the status of the tentacle piece. Reed wants to run some tests on it to figure out how much EM radiation it can take. Phlox says that he can't permit that because it's an intelligent being. They argue about the creature's intentions. Reed just wants to save Archer and the others no matter what. Uh, Phlox says that he'll help Reed under his supervision. In the mess hall, T'Pol and Hoshi are trying to figure out the creature's language using math. Uh, Hoshi gets defensive again because she thinks T'Pol thinks that Hoshi doesn't belong there. But T'Pol holds Hoshi to a high standard because she thinks Hoshi is capable of achieving it. On the bridge, Mayweather is pretty much alone when the Kratessian captain hails Enterprise. The captain speaks English. They studied the database and figured it out easily. Mayweather asks him about the organism. The Kratessian captain has seen it before on the creature's home world. The creature is stowed aboard the Kratessian ship. The captain will give Mayweather the location of the creature's homeworld, but he wants an apology first. Mayweather doesn't know what they were offended about. Uh, it turns out that the Kratassans were shocked that humans put food in their mouths, which is like mating to the Kratassans. They eat the same way as humans do, but they eat in private. Uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't sure where this was going. When he asks him, you know, well, wait, where do you put your food? Um but apparently they also put food in their mouths, just, you know, privately. <laughs> right. Uh, Mayweather sincerely apologizes, and the apology is accepted. Way to go, Mayweather. That yeah. was that was some serious, you know, space diplomacy. Acting Captain Mayweather. 
Yeah. In the cargo bay, Rostov is unconscious. Both Trip and Archer are fading. In the mess hall, Hoshi has cracked part of the code. Flox calls to Paul. He tells her that they need to hurry because Crewman Kelly is critical, which I thought was weird because wasn't Rostov the first one to get captured? Yeah, maybe she just couldn't take it, man. Uh, No more water polo. I can't take it. Yeah, yeah. I hope they weren't trying to say something about the fact that, well, because she was a woman, she was weaker or something. Yeah. I don't know. I just found it weird. Yeah. In the armory, Reed and a security officer are testing a force field. Paul calls Reed. She's ready to try communicating with the creature, and she asks if the force field is ready. In the cargo bay, Trip calls out to Archer, but he's out. Uh, Reed enters the cargo bay with another security officer. They set up the force field emitters. Uh, tentacles head their way. The force field successfully holds the tentacles back. Uh, Tapal, Hoshi, and Flox enter the cargo bay. Hoshi uses a device that emits a constant tone. It doesn't work, and she tries some more tones, and the creature responds in its own tone. Hoshi learns that the creature is giving them coordinates to the exact location on its home world. She tells the creature that they're going back to its home world, and Phlox tells them that the captured crew members' life signs are improving. The creature releases Archer and the others, and T'Pol tells Reed to lower the force field, and they go further into the cargo bay to get the now-released crewmen. The Enterprise flies towards a blue planet. A shuttle pod exits from Enterprise and flies towards the planet. On the surface, there are webs everywhere. An away team consisting of Tapal, Hoshi, Reed, and Phlox, all of whom are wearing environmental suits, drop the box that they're carrying. Tapal tells the others that the webbing is all one organism. They open the box and release the creature. Uh, Reed asks why it took the Enterprise crew members. And Flox hypothesizes that it might have needed a physical connection with any life form it could find. They then release the tentacle from a smaller box. Uh, I was wondering why they didn't reattach the tentacle to the other <laughs> creature. I just figured it'd wiggle off on its own. <laughs> uh, as the away team takes off in the shuttle pod, we see that the creature covers the planet's surface. And I noted, why did the creature on the ship need to give them exact coordinates? if they were all part of one huge organism. Yeah, and why would it want to leave its planet? Yeah. Anyway, oh, well. that's mm-hmm. the end of the episode. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so I wasn't sure if this, if this episode wanted to be scary or not, because I didn't find it scary, but I, it seems like a really scary premise, right? Yeah, I think it. I think the intention was to be scary, but oh. it was not successful. Yeah, maybe. You know, and I don't think it was just because of the outdated CGI. No. I think it just wasn't scary. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, the overabundance of water polo talk <laughs> didn't help. <laughs> didn't help. I, I mean, is someone, I've got to look it up to see if maybe someone on the show is really into water polo. I mean, we know that Captain's character is a former water polo water polo <laughs> player. Uh, but it, it gets mentioned a whole lot. Um, yeah, I mean, this... You know, I, it, frankly, with this episode, I really didn't didn't get me didn't I didn't, didn't like draw it. me in. I didn't I, like I, it. Yeah, it wasn't especially bad, but it just it just was so generic. Yeah, it's just like people caught webbing. It was like they're just throwing a lot of ideas out there, and nothing really, nothing really 
super unique, you know, not even this idea of a of a creature that makes everyone, you know, be able to read each other's thoughts because they didn't really do anything with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And anytime you're going to put main characters like Archer and Trip in peril, you're like, Mm -hmm. oh, well, nothing's going to happen. Yeah, nothing's going to happen. I was thinking one thing that would have been interesting and and maybe it would have been more, you know, something you might see in some more modern sci-fi or maybe sci-fi of the time. I mean, this is the kind of thing you might have seen on on ds9 would be um uh if the the crew members yeah if maybe if you had some crew members that kind of had you know didn't have the best relationship and they you know get sucked into this organism and are suddenly sharing each other's thoughts then you know they could they could go through some kind of journey like some character development right where they they suddenly they realize they get on this you know they, they they realize how each other are feeling or, you know, they learn something about each other uh, through this kind of symbiosis, maybe. Um, and then that then carries on into future episodes. I don't know. Right. But, um, you know, I think it would have been funny if uh, if Reed and T'Pol were stuck in there and you and then T'Pol found out that Reed was really into her. Yeah, that would have been much you know, more something interesting. weird like that. Yeah, because you got Archer and Trip together, but they're already best friends. Yeah, exactly. But you could have some other some other characters that maybe don't know that each other that well, and they really they realize like, oh, really? I didn't realize that mm-hmm. about you. Now that I can read your mind, <laughs> or it could have led to. I mean, you can imagine that in a in a different sci fi series leading to some some problems, right? Like, yeah, they, if, you, if a character has a secret and then a secret, yeah, something like that, but. They just didn't really go anywhere with it, the idea. Mm-hmm. So that was a shame. Yeah. There's so much more they could have done, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, I don't know, a very dull episode. Yeah. Uh, there were no real stakes, and I thought the alien was just boring. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of gooey guy. Hi. Mm. I'm gooey. Cut pieces off me. They wiggle. Made a bad CG. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, even for the di- even for the time, I mean, this show. I mean, we, this show isn't that old. I, mean, I guess it is, but I mean, it's over a decade. But yeah, there was good CG back then. Come on, <laughs> I don't know. Anyways, yeah, I don't know. There's not a lot to say about this episode. It's kind of yeah. It's pretty much the synopsis, and that's where it stands. <laughs> <laughs> There's not too much deeper to dig into this one, folks. Sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah, just water polo. Mm-hmm. Now, now Don't trip, forget. now trip and Rostov know all about water polo. Yeah, I that wonder was, if they retained the knowledge. That was Archer's plan all along. He wanted more water polo fans. Mm-hmm. So he brought the alien on board. <laughs> all right, there's our fan fiction. Uh, yeah. All right, let's take a little break and then we'll talk about the next episode. Sounds good. Wednesday, UPN presents a two-hour Enterprise event. Give us the Vulcan. First. Let's give them a run for their money. A secret mission puts the crew to the ultimate test. Warp 5. We've got to slow down, Captain. No! Then, they were warned not to interfere with alien cultures. I need your help. Zabral and his men are terrorists. They should have listened. You'll never see your captain or engineer again. Enterprise. And we're back. Uh, let's talk about the next episode of Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, season 1, episode 23, Fallen Hero. Oh, yeah. Original air date, May 8th, 2002. Getting, uh, we're getting closer to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Season 1. Uh, it's almost it's almost here. So 
23 episodes in. Crazy. Uh, episode opens in Archer's dining room. Archer and Trip are shocked at something T'Pol said. She was <laughs> suggesting that there's a lack of sexual activity on the ship. Mating eases tension, she claims. Awkward. <laughs> also, how many episodes start in Archer's dining room? Mm, seems like a lot. Quite a few. Yeah. Anyways. It's a nice dining room. Yeah, true, true. Uh, Archer counters that they've been out in space for 10 months, and that's why the crew is getting a little sloppy. Uh, Tabal suggests shore leave on a planet called Risa, which is a tropical uh, planet filled with beaches and has a local population that is receptive to easing tension. Uh-uh. Is that code, Tabal? <laughs> Is that special Vulcan code for something? Let's just say the endings will be happy. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Okay. <laughs> uh, Risa is a planet that's been mentioned a lot in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool to hear it mentioned this time. Um, it's a shore leave planet. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> it's well known. Uh, that's the opening credits. When the episode comes back, Trip enters the bridge wearing a Hawaiian shirt because he wants to get noticed on Risa. Yeah. Uh Archer is declining shortly because he has work to do and he wants to take advantage of the ship being quiet. Okay. I gotta say, Trip's Hawaiian shirt is awesome. <laughs> I think they should just have casual Fridays on Enterprise and just like people on the, on the bridge can just wear whatever they want. Cause I just want to see like, uh, Mayweather and, and, uh, and Reed and Trip. I just want to see them totally in there like, they're casual clothes. I want, be hilarious. I want them all to be wearing Hawaiian shirts. Yeah, everyone. Hoshi, T'Pol. T'Pol <laughs> <laughs> uh, argues that Archer needs to be in top form, so he should take advantage of the masseuses on Risa. He gives in and decides to read his surveys on a beach. Nice. Suddenly, they get a transmission. Admiral Forrest calls and tells Archer about Valar, a Vulcan ambassador to a planet called Mazar. The Enterprise is tasked with picking her up because she has to leave the planet right away, and the nearest Vulcan ship is at least a week away. Uh, they are then to meet the Vulcan ship Sharon in three days. In Hoshi's quarters, Hoshi is packing. Tabal thanks her for giving up her place for Valar. Uh, before Hoshi leaves, Tabal requests that she take a picture of some kind because Valar is accustomed to a Spartan environment. Uh, Archer enters and Hoshi says that she hopes her quarters are Spartan enough and then leaves. Uh, Tabal hands Archer a list of guidelines for dealing with Valar. Don't try to shake her hand, for example. Fun. The Enterprise enters Mazar's orbit and they get hailed by the Maseret uh, High Council. Archer tells the Mazeret on screen that he'll be sending down a shuttle pod, but it turns out the the ambassador is already on her way towards Enterprise. The Mazeret man on screen explains that Valar has been expelled for abusing her position and criminal misconduct. At the docking area, Archer, T'Pol, and Trip meet Valar. She reaches her hand out and Archer shakes it to T'Pol's surprise. Uh, she also shakes Trip's hand. T'Pol greets her in Vulcan, but Valar wants to practice her English. Obviously, this would be very surprising to T'Pol. Uh, in Archer's dining room, we're back. 
Uh, <laughs> Archer, Trip, and Paul are eating with Valar. Valar inquires about who occupied the room before her. And Paul immediately jumps in, talking about the human scent and how difficult it is to mask. It turns out, however, that Valar just wants to thank Hoshi for allowing her the use of her quarters. She prefers not to disturb people's routines. Archer asks about how she negotiated the first territorial accords between Vulcan and Andoria. She says that she needed a firmer hand with the Andorians, but she was younger. After all, this occurred before the Vulcans made contact with Earth. Trip asks her how long she's been a diplomat, uh, at least over 90 years. Uh, but she responds that you don't ask a woman about her age. <laughs> uh, she was making a joke. And Tapal yeah. uh, brings up the charges against Valar. Valar says that there is no defense. And she gets tired and leaves with Tapal. Yeah, and she also, I noticed, barely ate anything. Like, yeah. Like, she and Tapal had barely eaten a bite of their food. <laughs> it was like, come on. Like, just... Be a good guest and eat your food, please. Maybe she's just tired of Vulcan cuisine. Oh, right, because they fed it right. Because Paul said, yeah, yada, yada, she needs Vulcan. Yeah, yep. okay, probably. Maybe she wanted some good old home cooking, earth cooking. She wants some pecan pie. <laughs> yeah. As T'Pol and Valar walk down a hallway, Valar asks about T'Pol's experiences on Earth. T'Pol is eager to leave, but Valar thinks she senses T'Pol's anger. Uh, but it's actually disappointment. As T'Pol walks away, she encounters Archer. They talk about Valar and how T'Pol seemed to be rude to her. T'Pol says it's uncommon for a Vulcan to commit a crime and unheard of for an ambassador like Valar. Uh, the fact that she doesn't want to defend herself means that she's guilty, according to T'Pol. Uh, T'Pol met Valar before when she was younger. Valar inspired T'Pol to take the path that she has. And Valar was T'Pol's hero, who has fallen, get it? Mmm. Fallen hero. Uh, Reed calls and asks Archer to come to the bridge. On the bridge, Mayweather tells Archer that an unidentified ship is approaching. It's a Maseret ship. Uh, the captain tells Archer that there's been a change of plans and that they couldn't tell Archer beforehand because there are some issues with their long-range communications. The captain says that the magistrate needs Valar for more questioning. Uh, Archer notes that the magistrate was in a hurry to get rid of Valar earlier. Uh, Archer says that he'll need to get confirmation from his superiors. Hoshi tries to contact Starfleet Command, but the Maseret ship is jamming all of Enterprise's comm frequencies. And then the ship attacks Enterprise. Yeah, I said this is when I like rub, start rubbing my hands together. Oh, finally, finally, <laughs> space battles. The Enterprise fires aft torpedoes, but the the other ship uh, has energy shielding, so the torpedoes have no effect. Uh, the Enterprise incurs more damage. Archer asks Reed about the efficacy of the phase cannons. They would work, but they can't be fired while at warp. They drop to impulse and fire the aft phase cannon, uh, taking out the other ship's engines, and then the Enterprise warps away. Elsewhere, Archer and Paul question Valar about the Maserats that attacked them. Valar remains tight-lipped because there are important diplomatic matters at stake, and she doesn't want to put the Enterprise crew at further risk. Archer then orders Mayweather to head back to Mazar. 
He won't change course unless Valar can convince him why the trip to the Sharon would be worth risking everyone's lives. Admiral Forrest calls Archer and tells him that the Vulcans are upset that Archer isn't delivering Valar to them. Uh, Archer is pissed about the Vulcans keeping them in the dark again. Forrest says he'll talk to Saval about the situation. Reed talks to Trip about having something to do, and then they talk about Risa and how the Nubian masseuses have 12 fingers on each hand. Okay, weird. Well, you know Reed. Yeah. Uh, in the mess hall, T'Pol enters to find Valar chatting with Hoshi. Valar was asking Hoshi why her quarters were so spartan. Uh, Hoshi leaves. Valar asks if T'Pol has tried iced tea. Uh, she has, and she didn't like it. Volar mentions that Archer likes it flavored with passion fruit. Uh, T'Pol tells Volar that Archer deserves to be told the truth. Uh, Volar and T'Pol talk about Archer and how he is trustworthy yet resentful of the Vulcans. Uh, T'Pol tells Volar that they must earn the human's trust. Volar remembers T'Pol because she asks presumptuous questions. In Archer's quarters, Archer is playing with Porthos when T'Pol enters. T'Pol tells him that she spoke with Valar. T'Pol says Valar is not guilty. The charges against her were made up to get her off Mazar and to distract from her true mission, which is top secret yet critical. Archer needs more than that to change his mind. T'Pol adds that she'll be killed if she returns to Mazar. Uh, T'Pol believes her because there's no way she would be a criminal after her long career. Archer still isn't convinced. T'Pol finally asks for him for a favor. Don't return Valar to Mizar. He agrees. Later, three Mazarid ships attack Enterprise. Archer wants to outrun them since they can't fight all three ships. They hit warp 4.8, but the other ships go warp 4.9. Uh, Enterprise goes to warp 4.9, uh, and at that speed, it'll be two hours to be at the rendezvous point but Mayweather doesn't think they, they can keep the speed up. Uh, they can't contact the Vulcans because the Mazarits are still jamming them. Uh, Valar enters the bridge and asks what's going on. Seeing that things are dire, Valar wants to speak to Archer in private. In Archer's ready room, Valar admits that she kept some things from Archer because she didn't trust him. She was fascinated by humanity, but worried because humans had just had a global war. Archer counters that they've had a century of good behavior. Valar reveals that the Mazarits following the Enterprise are criminals who have infiltrated the government and made themselves wealthy and powerful. They eliminate anyone who gets in their way, including Valar. The uh, the rest of the people, one of the criminals exposed by the Vulcans, uh, Valar has been gathering evidence against the criminals and is going to testify in three months. The reason why they made it look like Valar was a criminal was to make her look less than credible, and maybe they would leave her alone, but it didn't work. Uh, Valar doesn't want to put the Enterprise in any more danger, so she plans to surrender to these criminals. Archer refuses to do it, even though it's the most logical course of action. Uh, back on the bridge, Paul tells Archer that they're being hailed by the Mazarids. The Enterprise can sustain their speed for another 10 minutes. Reed mentions that the other ships are having uh, trouble going that fast. Uh, the master captain knows that the Enterprise's engines are overheating, 
But Archer counters that the other ship's engines are as well. Uh, Archer is going to deliver Valar to the Vulcans as planned. The Masters increase their speed to warp 4.95. Archer calls Trip and asks for more power. It is, after all, a warp 5 engine. Oh boy, there we go. Archer gives Vlar his seat and then orders Mayweather to go warp 5. Uh, in engineering, things were getting chaotic, and the engine is really heating up. The Enterprise hits warp 5. The ship starts shaking. Reed tells Archer that the Masrits are still gaining on them. Archer asks Paul how far the Vulcan ship is. However, the Masrits are jamming their sensors. He wants her to take a guess, and she says 53 minutes at their current speed. Uh, if they could contact the Sharon, a warp 7 ship, they could meet in 12 minutes. Hoshi doesn't know how that's possible, but Valar tells them about a diplomatic frequency that uses a lower subspace band. How convenient. Uh, <laughs> Archer wants to keep the Vulcans a surprise for the Mazarins. Uh Reed suggests deflecting their jamming frequencies to disrupt the sensors. Uh, Hoshi may have gotten a message through, but there's no response. In engineering, things are on fire. <laughs> literally. Uh, things have heated up, literally. <laughs> uh, the Enterprise is now eight minutes from the Shran, assuming their message got through. The Masrits hit the Enterprise's starboard nacelle, so they drop out of warp. And the, uh, the ships hail the Enterprise. They have ten minutes before the Vulcans show up. And Reed tells Archer that they won't be able to hold them off for that long. Uh, Valar is ready to surrender to the criminals. Uh, he tells Valar to go to sick bay. The Mazar captain appears on screen. Archer tries to buy some time by asking how fast their ships can go and by telling him that the Enterprise's shuttle bay was damaged in the attack. The Mazar captain decides to board the Enterprise. Uh, the shuttle docks with Enterprise and three of the Masrit criminals, uh, the captain included, board. Uh, Archer tells them that E-Deck was damaged in an attack and that Valar's quarters were on E-Deck. Uh, she was no more than 10 meters away from an exploding conduit, which, T'Pol says, caused plasma burns and neurological trauma. But the captain wants to see her anyway. In sick Bay, Archer and Paul introduce the three Mazarites to Phlox. Uh, Phlox tells them that uh, Valar is undergoing dermal regeneration, and he refuses to open the chamber because she's a, his patient, and she'll die if she's removed from the chamber prematurely. Uh, the criminals pull out guns, and the captain orders Phlox to open the chamber. Just then, one of the Mazarite ships calls the captain, and tells him that their jamming signal has been redirected by the Enterprise. The criminals shoot the chamber, and the captain looks smug as he thinks the Valar is dead. And Phlox is really upset. Yes. Uh, just then, the Sharon appears and blasts the Masoret ships. Uh, Hoshi calls Archer and tells him that the captain of the Sharon wants to speak to him. Archer puts the Vulcan captain on screen in sickbay so that the Masrits can see him too. The Vulcan captain tells them to give up their weapons or their ships will be destroyed. Uh, as the Masrits are leaving sickbay, Valar appears in the doorway. She tells the captain that she looks forward to adding this incident to her testimony at his trial. Womp womp. K 
Captain Starlog, February 9th, 2152. The Vulcans have allowed the Mazards to leave. Valara says there's a good reason for that, but she isn't sharing that with Archer. Sapal and Archer escort Valara to the docking area where two Vulcans greet her. Uh, Valara is sorry to have caused Archer trouble, but he's happy to help. Valara says that there's a bond of trust, respect, and even friendship between Archer and T'Pol, which bodes well for the future relations of humans and Vulcans. Valara then extends her hand to Archer, and he shakes it as he says goodbye to her. Uh, Valara then tells T'Pol, live long and prosper. The Vulcan shuttle flies from Enterprise to the Shran as the episode ends. Um, I I do think we've, we've had an overabundance of Vulcan epicentric episodes, um, but I think that even though it's not specifically stated, it feels like this one fits into kind of more of the overarching story, overarching story. Um, and I just, I liked her character a lot. I liked the, the Vulcan ambassador. Um, I, you know, there's, there have been stories before, um, been episodes of, of Trek before where you have, you know, Vulcans don't really play by the Vulcan rules. Um, and in fact, you know, most infamously, there's a Star Trek, uh, which one was it? The Final Frontier, the, the feature film, uh, with Spock's brother, who is like the emotional Vulcan and is a total jerk. I mean, there, <laughs> there were those Vulcans in Enterprise as well. Yeah. So. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, we've seen different types of Vulcans. I, I just, I don't know. I liked her character. And, I, and then I felt that this episode actually had some tension in it. It actually, you know, I, I, I realized I, I didn't for a moment think that the Enterprise would be destroyed or that, you know, any, any of the main crew were going to die. But, you know, at least there was some space combat and there was a high speed pursuit, you know, so there was some, there was some action going on. I mean, definitely. Not much happened, though, other than that. Mm-hmm. Um, it was kind of a quick, you know, oh, we've got someone who's being pursued by bad guys. We got to get out of here kind of thing. Um, yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe I like it a little more than I normally would just because I thought that the, the, the new Vulcan character was pretty cool and that I, at least there was some action happening. Yeah. Yeah. I like that part. I like how Enterprise finally went warp five. Um, it was a little unfortunate that the Enterprise is seen as like this cool new ship that can go warp five, but then it turns out that every other ship can go faster than that. Yeah, it's actually not that special, not that fast. But, you know, at least it was able to disable the, uh, the other, you know, the alien ship and leave it kind of dead in the water. So Mm -hmm. it did something. Yeah. But I guess would you say, the more I think about it, I guess the the more I realize not a whole lot happened <laughs> in this episode. But uh, you know, maybe it's it's I just liked it more than some other recent ones. I definitely liked it better than our last episode we watched. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely better than that one. Um, yeah, I think the Vulcan ambassador Valar, she really made it. She's really a charismatic character and mm-hmm. made it more interesting than it would have been otherwise. Right. Uh, I think it was just like a, another, you know, typical Vulcan. It wouldn't have been as interesting. Yeah. And she played Daniel Faraday's mom, right? In Lost. That's right. Good call. Wow. Yeah. That is, I, that is accurate. Yeah. I, I had seen her. I, I immediately thought of Lost when I was watching <laughs> this episode. Yeah. So a likable actor. Yeah. For sure. 
so overall impressions are better than the last one, at least. <laughs> yeah, exciting. Better than the last episode. Yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> uh, we'll take another little break, and then we'll talk about the next episode, Desert Crossing. Uh, and we're back again. Uh, let's talk about Star Trek Enterprise Season 1, Episode 24, Desert Crossing. Original air date, May 8, 2002. Uh, I guess it aired at the same day as uh, Fallen Hero. Yeah, so uh, two episodes in one that day. Special double feature. Maybe there was uh, Maybe there was a holiday coming up or, you know, the network decided to air two at once for some special reason. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing we're covering both of them. Yeah, and in the uh in the show timeline, I think it only takes place a couple of days after Fallen Hero, 3 days after. Yeah, because the episode opens with the captain's personal log, February 12th, 2152. The Enterprise is back on course for Riza. Continuity. <laughs> in Archer's quarters, Archer is narrating his log and packing while Porthos watches. He gets a call from T'Pol. Uh, she tells him that they got a distress call from two light years away. Archer tells her to go ahead and alter course, and he leaves his quarters, uh, leaving a sad Porthos behind. Oh, sad Porthos. Opening credits. Uh, when the episode comes back, Archer is walking down a hallway with an alien played by Clancy Brown. Woo! Uh, Archer tells him that the warp injectors were full of plasma residue, which is why he was adrift in space. They enter a shuttle bay in which Clancy's ship is being repaired. <laughs> Are you just going to call him Clancy? Well, they haven't named this character. <laughs> true, true. But he is larger than life already. Uh, a- another lost alum. Definitely. Uh, he invites Archer and Trip to a meal on his home world, but Archer wants to get to Ryza. Uh, he's eventually persuaded because Clancy talks about a Giscana match. Uh, plus he tells Archer that he's easily offended. In engineering, uh, Trip tells Archer that he can't go down to the desert planet. He's too busy and he hates sand. Uh, Archer brings up their survival training in the Australian Outback, which Trip does not remember nearly as fondly as Archer does. We learn that Clancy Brown's character's name is Zabral. Finally, uh, mm-hmm. Archer eventually convinces Trip to go. Uh, Archer and Trip land on the planet in a shuttle pod. It's 41 degrees Celsius, which is almost 106 degrees Fahrenheit outside. Uh, Trip is less than happy, but Archer is very gung ho. They are greeted by Zabral. In Zabral's home, Archer and Trip eat a meal with Zabral. Uh, we learn that Zabral's planet is mostly desert with some small lakes and seas. Uh, he's blown away by the fact that Earth is two-thirds water. Although, California right now, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's practically, uh, you know, Zabral's planet. <laughs> they drink a wine called Yales- uh, Yalasut, made from a cactus, so it's basically tequila. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archer talks about exploring and how the only time he was going back to Earth was when they were going to upgrade their weapons in the episode Silent Enemy, 
which is when Enterprise was equipped with phasers. Uh, Archer and Trip are given some blood soup with the, quote, essence of the male, chopped and seasoned. So. Mm, gross. So, Rocky Mountain Oysters. Yeah. Uh, it's an extravagant dish for Zabral, and it was specially made for Archer and Trip. So they each take a bite until Archer changes the subject, pointing out the tapestries. Zabral offers Archer one, but Archer declines. Zabral then offers him a Sulaban artifact. A horn blares. Uh, Zabral hopes Archer and Trip are ready for the Giscana match. Cut to the outside where Giscana is being played. It appears to be like lacrosse. Uh, after watching Zabral and some others play, Archer and Trip join in, stripping off their shirts before they do. On the bridge of the Enterprise, the crew is being hailed. Hoshi says it's from a city on the far side of the desert. A man comes on screen asking about the shuttle pod. Acting Captain T'Pol tells the man that Archer and Trip are at the location because they were invited by Zabral. The man is Chancellor Trellet. Chancellor Trellet wants to know why they're in contact with Zabral. Trellet says that they were most likely will never see Archer or Trip again. Ominous. Meanwhile, Archer and Trip are playing Giscana. It reminds me of the volleyball scene in Top Gun. <laughs> totally. Totally. That's perfect. Uh, after the game, Tabal calls Archer. She tells Archer that Trellet said that Zabral and his men are terrorists. Zabal suggests that Archer and Trip return to the Enterprise. Archer makes some excuses to Zabral for why they have to leave. But as Archer and Trip are leaving, Zabral tells Archer that he should not believe the Tarothans. He knew that the Enterprise and Trillet had a lengthy uh, lengthy transmission. Uh, Zabral convinces Archer to stay long enough to hear his side of the story by saying that Archer has a reputation for being fair and being a man of great integrity. So just butter Archer up, and uh, he'll yep. listen to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. In Zabral's home, Zabral presents Archer and Trip with a piece of clothing called Erot, which means to stand apart. Uh, Zabral explains that his people were forced to wear it in public when they were in the cities. Eventually, they weren't forced to, and the people rejoiced. However, the Tarothan clan is still in control of everything. Uh, Zabral's people spent 10 years protesting, but attacking the Tarothans was the only way to get their voices heard. Zabral needs Archer's help to fight the Tarothans. He wants the arsenal of weapons from Enterprise, and he wants Archer to fight alongside him, providing strategy. Uh, suddenly, there's an explosion. It's the Tarothan cruisers beginning their bombardment of Zabral's camp. Zabral knows of Archer because he freed the Suliban from the internment camp in the episode Detained. Uh, Zabral tells them that he can't take the shuttle pod back to Enterprise because the thrusters would draw too much attention and that they would be an easy target for the Tarothan ships. Archer and Trip somewhat reluctantly hide under Zabral's house. On the Enterprise, they try to hail Archer, but it's all garbled due to jamming signals. They can't use the transporter because they can't get a lock on Archer and Trip's bioscience. So Reed volunteers to take a shuttle pod down to the surface himself, though it's a Paul thinks it's foolish because if there's an assault going on on the planet, I mean, he's, how is he going to get there? Yeah, he's just going to get shot down. Uh, she tries to hail Trellet. In Zabral's secret bunker, Archer is trying to hail Enterprise, but there's no response. 
Archer tells Trip that if they hadn't helped the Sulaban escape, they wouldn't be in this situation. Uh, Trip advises him to walk away. Archer thinks the brawl won't take no for an answer. Uh, suddenly, part of the ceiling caves in. When they reach the surface, Archer and Trip see that Zabral's house has been leveled. Uh, Trip wants to escape into the desert. Archer and Trip reach the shuttle pod and take some supplies, and then they flee into the desert. So, why didn't they just take off at this point? Because the uh, thrusters would attract the Tarothan ships. Hmm, okay. Uh, on the Enterprise, Tapal and Trellet chat. Tapal's mad, or as mad as a Vulcan can get, that Trellet <laughs> started an assault without notifying Enterprise. And Trellet wants to know why Archer and, T- and Trip uh, stayed behind to speak with Zabral. Tapal wants Trellet to stop the assault so they can send a search party, but Trellet accuses her of aiding Zabral. Uh, Trellet says that his people will find Archer and Trip and that if any shuttle pod heads towards the planet's surface, it will be considered hostile. The communication ends, and there's some sort of field jamming Enterprise's readings. On the planet, uh, Archer and Trip are crossing the desert. Get it? They're crossing the desert. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archer is heading towards a seemingly abandoned camp that he saw on the way down to the planet. He once again brings up the survival training. Uh, Trip hears a ship approaching and they hide in the sand to avoid being spotted by the Tarothan ship that flies overhead. Uh, on the Enterprise in the Situation Room, uh, Reed and T'Pol are trying to devise a rescue plan. They need to find a way past the dispersion field surrounding the planet. Uh, Reed leaves, and Hoshi asks T'Pol why Vulcans landed in Montana and how contact with an alien species could have alarmed other nations on Earth because the Vulcans made contact with America first. Uh, Hoshi says that they are in a similar situation in that they were invited to dinner and then are accused of taking sides in a war. Uh, T'Pol explains that the Vulcan High Command has very specific directives to avoid causing conflicts, and she says that Archer will have to create his own directives. A prime directive, if you will. Mm-hmm. Or at least secondary directive. Uh, back on the planet, Archer and Trip continue to cross the desert. Trip collapses and starts suffering from heat exhaustion. Mm. He drinks up the last of his water, but refuses to take any of Archer's water until Archer threatens to beat him up. Uh <laughs> Uh, Trip drinks up the last of Archer's water, and they continue onward. On the Enterprise, the crew gets a hail from Zabral's ship. Zabral wants to come aboard in a hurry because the Tarothans will detect him soon and destroy his ship. And T'Pol lets him on board. In the launch bay, uh, Reed explains to Zabral that there were only 89 Suleban freed, not thousands, and there were only a few dozen prison guards, not an army. Paul adds that Archer's a good starship captain, but he's not an invincible warrior. Sabral asks about Archer's legendary desert tactics, but Reed says that he's the tactical officer, and he doesn't know much about desert warfare. Sabral is disappointed that Archer doesn't live up to the hype. Uh, <laughs> Reed asks how Sabral got to the Enterprise without being spotted. Sabral explains that there's a narrow gap in the orbital detection grid that opens every 46 minutes, but it's only open for less than a minute. Uh, Reed and T'Pol want Zabral's help rescuing Archer and Trip, but he denies any responsibility. 
Small counters that if Archer and Trip are caught by the Tarothans, they will be treated as poorly as the Brawl's people are. Back at uh, back on the planet, uh, Archer and Trip make it to a vacant building. Archer finds some stagnant water that's undrinkable. In the evening, Archer has created fire using the phase pistol's stun setting, and he's boiling the water he found. He gives it to Trip, but Trip initially refuses. After taking a sip, Trip spits it out because it tastes, quote, worse than blood soup. Archer can't let Trip fall asleep because he has heat stroke and could fall into a coma. He forces Trip to drink more water. In order to keep Trip up, uh, Archer orders Trip to tell him the eight major components of a warp reactor. Trip starts talking about food instead. <laughs> Archer tells him that he'll have Chef make a uh, special meal for Trip. Uh, Trip doesn't want snake meat, but he does want prime rib, mashed potatoes with mushroom gravy, broccoli, and, of course, pecan pie. Oh, Sounds pretty good. Elsewhere, a shuttle pod with Reed, T'Pol, and Zabral is uh, flying over the planet's surface, uh, looking for Archer and Trip. They have to fly low to avoid being detected. In the abandoned house, Archer asks Trip if he knows how to play a game called Geography in order to keep him awake. Suddenly, there's an explosion outside. Archer checks it out. Uh, someone is firing at the house from afar, so Archer and Trip rush out of the building. In the shuttle pod, Reed detects weapons fire. Zabral says it's a Tarothan mortar. Zabral asks if it's one of Zabral's settlements, but Zabral responds that they don't have any in that location. So T'Pol tells Reed to set a course and prepare to fire. The Tarothan mortar destroys the house the Archer and Trip were in, and the house explodes behind them. Reed fires at the mortar. T'Pol sees Archer and Trip's bio-signs. The shuttle pod lands, and Archer drags Trip aboard. Zabral reaches a hand out to Archer and then hands uh, Archer some water. On the Enterprise, Brawl tells a sunburned archer, who is back in uniform, Antipal, and very sunburned. <laughs> Antipal, that he should uh, leave as his launch window will be open in nine minutes. Archer tells the Brawl that they're not out in space to be warriors. So Brawl nods and leaves in his ship. Uh, archer and T'Pol walk down a hallway. T'Pol says that decisions to get involved in the conflicts of other worlds should be up to governments, not starship captains. Uh, Archer agrees, but he believes that Zabral's cause is worth fighting for. And that's the end of the episode. So, was this... I mean, is this meant to be setting something up later? Because not a lot happens. I mean, it's... There's no real resolution to anything. There's no real resolution, but it's consequences for what Archer had done earlier. True, true. I mean, it was directly connected to the Sulban... Uh, camp and I guess yeah you're right because th this was all sort of built up after he helped those prisoners escape right well and helped himself escape yeah I mean obviously <laughs> had to get himself free but yeah 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 um I mean this episode I mean had Clancy Brown who I think is great I wasn't super big fan of his accent that he was <laughs> doing I thought he could have just used his normal voice and it would have been fine um. And the the weird chin tattoos that was a little strange, uh, but <laughs> was, I mean, I guess it's, it's like everyone had a little goatee. Yeah, everyone had a goatee, but instead of um, instead of 
a whiskers. It was uh, eyeliner, <laughs> basically. <laughs> it was very clearly makeup that was drawn on, mm-hmm. uh, like Chakotay's, uh, Chakotay's uh, uh, tattoo on his forehead. But, um, yeah, I mean, eh, you had some really kind of action-packed moments. Mostly it was Clancy Brown and a different kind of planet. Um, you see a lot more of the Archer and Trip relationship, although yeah. by this time, you've seen them in a lot of situations together. Yeah, they, we're, we're getting a lot of, um, we're getting a lot of Archer, a lot of, and a lot of Trip. And, and actually, at this point, I'd say, uh, we definitely need to see more Flocks episodes, <laughs> please. Uh, maybe some, you know, more, kind of like minor characters, or, um, Let's see. Who haven't they really explored too much? I'd like to know more about Reed at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we've definitely gotten some of him. A lot of him and Trip. We haven't got so, much Mayweather. Not much Mayweather. They haven't really touched on Hoshi in a while either. No, no. They kind of went. They went pretty, uh, pretty big on the Hoshi story early on, and then I think they were kind of like, "Oh yeah, people are just kind of annoyed by this." Yeah. So at least she's not, you know, complaining about being in space anymore. <laughs> Uh, but, but, I mean, it's almost like they went the other direction, and she's barely a part of the show. Yeah. Pretty much. I think Mayweather is probably more of a part of the show. Um, but you're right, there's been a whole lot of Trip Archer. Um, it's like every other episode at this point. <laughs> but, yeah, I liked, uh, I like Clancy Brown. I just didn't feel, I, I agree that we got to see the consequences for something from that happened in a previous episode. But other than that, I just didn't feel like there was much to this. There wasn't any sort of interesting spin on anything. It was just kind of like, oh, they go, they play uh, field hockey in the desert, uh, and they get attacked and have to run and survive. Right. And then again, you know they're not in any real danger because mm-hmm. they're two of the main characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's just pretty much saying, oh, the prime directive is a thing that exists for a reason. And here's, mm-hmm. here's how they get to that point where they create the prime directive. Right. Because they start seeing consequences of interfering mm-hmm. with other, other civilizations. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think that Star Trek's ever at its best when, you know, the episodes revolve around the main characters being in peril. Because again, you know, the, in very few cases, I guess Tasha Yar being one of them, you know that nothing's going to happen. Um, or, I mean, there have been cases where, on TNG, where, you know, main character will be in peril, something horrible will happen, and you think they're, you think they're dead, but they find some way to circumvent that. Um, I think that Star Trek's at its best when there's a, an interesting s- scenario, when there's like a, a, there's a challenging situation mm-hmm. in the episode that requires some, you know, maybe an interesting solution. Uh, or really makes you think, makes you, you know, question the way things are being done, that sort of thing. And in this case, it was, I mean, I, maybe they tried to go for that in this episode with, well, who, are, you know, is he really a terrorist or is he just, you know, a downtrodden person? You know, I don't know. Yeah, uh, there's, there's some greater political questions, but they didn't really touch on that no, at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, it was all right though. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely better than Voxola. Uh, I think it's about equal to Fallen Hero for me. Yeah, I'd say it'd be hard for me to pick between 
this and Fallen Hero out of these three episodes we watched is is which was better. Um, definitely the, none of these three were, you know, the the best of the season so far. Uh, but we're definitely, like I said earlier, we're getting towards the end of the season. I mean, I'm glad to see more continuity for sure. Yeah, d- yeah, certainly. And uh, I'm hoping they get to Risa soon. I think at, at this point, wow. I mean, they've had all this has happened between when they decided to go get massages and you know lay on the beach and when they actually get there. So let's hope they actually get there. Uh, next time we meet, uh, they should be on Risa. Yeah. Uh, the next two episodes we're going to talk about because we are going to cover two episodes per uh, podcast episode now. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next two episodes are Two Days and Two Nights and then Shockwave Part 1, the season wow. finale. So the final two episodes of Season 1 will be on our next episode next week. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll talk to you then. Yeah, see you soon. Bye.